So many home fragrance scents smell unnatural, super sweet, chemically, or maybe even like a part of the mall you can't wait to escape. And after learning that the candle industry contributes to an insurmountable amount of non-recyclable waste, carbon emissions, and toxicity in our air, I am so happy that Notes Candles exists. Notes Candles is on a mission to help eliminate single-use candle vessels and give home fragrance lovers a more earth-friendly option without giving up high-quality fragrance that actually seems amazing. I have been loving burning the Santal and Atlas Cedar scent. It's woodsy, calming, and smells so good. I can't get enough. I love it. And they have other amazing one-of-a-kind fragrances like oat milk and balsam berry, vanilla and pepperwood, and pistachio and rose water. Every single one of them is exceptional. Be a responsible consumer while not giving up high-quality home fragrance by making the switch to Notes. You can build your custom starter kit right now at notecandles.com slash bestofyou. Right now, Notes is giving listeners 15% off and free shipping when you buy a Notes starter kit using code bestofyou. Just use code bestofyou when placing your order. That's code bestofyou at notescandle.com slash bestofyou. Today is National Green Juice Day. This day was created to encourage people to stick to their health resolutions by drinking a green juice instead of that sugary beverage. If you're anything like me, the intention to eat healthier is there, but the will to stick to it often is not. In fact, most people tend to drop off of a New Year's resolution or a goal to eat healthier after about a week. Other things come in and take over and they distract us from all the work it takes to make ourselves that healthier option. That's where Organifi Green Juice can help. When the meal preparation starts to feel like a chore, when you're tempted to reach for that sugary, easy, quick fix snack instead of the nourishment your body actually wants, drop a bright green scoop of Organifi Green Juice into a glass of water and stir. It tastes amazing, like a real treat, and yet it's full of 11 100% USDA certified organic superfoods, rich in antioxidants, adaptogenetic compounds, and micronutrients. It comes in mint or apple crisp flavors, and it's easy to drink every single morning or when you're busy and just need a quick health boost that tastes delicious. Organifi takes pride in choosing the highest quality plant-based ingredients for optimal health. Each blend is science back to craft the most effective doses. And the best part is that you can experience Organifi's high-quality superfoods without breaking the bank with a price that works out to less than $3 a day. Head over to www.organifi.com slash bestofyou and use code bestofyou for 20% off your entire order. That's www.organifi.com slash best of you and use code best of you for 20% off. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Allison and I'm so glad you're here to discover what brings out the best of you. This podcast is all about breaking free from painful patterns, mending the past and discovering our true selves in God. I can't wait to get started as we learn together how to become the best version of who we are with God's help. Hey everyone, before we dive into today's episode, I am thrilled to announce a brand new six-week series I'm launching next Thursday, February 2nd. It's called Boundaries for Your Soul, a faith-based approach to healing painful thoughts and feelings. This series is based on my first book, Boundaries for Your Soul, which is all about how 
to turn overwhelming thoughts and feelings into your greatest allies. It's a life-changing journey into understanding and caring for the parts of your own soul that need your attention. Now, listen, if you have questions about the book or about various emotions or various limiting beliefs you are dealing with, please leave those questions at the Best of You podcast questions link. It's in this episode's show notes. I will be addressing some of your questions throughout this series. And if you want to read Boundaries for Your Soul and haven't picked it up yet, you can get both Boundaries for Your Soul and The Best of You for almost 50% off when you order them together. My publisher set up this special bundle, and the link for that is also in this episode show notes. This is a great opportunity to grab a friend, grab a copy of the book, and read along as we learn together how to lead our emotions and our thoughts wisely in partnership with God's Spirit. And now for today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to today's episode of the Best of You podcast. I am so excited today to have my friend, Allie Patterson, on the show. I met Allie almost a year ago. She is a wife, a mom, a writer, and a teaching pastor. She serves at a large church in Cincinnati called Crossroads Church, and she's passionate about equipping others to know Jesus, especially through the pages of Scripture. She's written a new book called How to Stay Standing, Three Essential Practices to Building a Faith that Lasts. I got my hands on this book, and just from the get-go, from the go, Allie is just honest. She's open. She's real. She pulls you right into her story and right into these practices that she's learned to help you stay strong in your faith. So I am thrilled to have Allie on the podcast today. Hello, Allie, and welcome. Allison, thank you for having me. It's really fun to be with you. I feel like I've gotten the pleasure of knowing you personally, and now we get to actually do something together professionally, which is so fun. It's like a continuation of the conversations we've been having. When I was reading your book, I was like, we kind of operate on different sides of the same coin. I kind of go more into the psychology piece of standing strong with a biblical background. And Mm -hmm. when I read your book, I was like, oh, you go into the biblical basis for standing strong, correct me if I'm wrong, but Mm -hmm. with a real genuine nod to the psychology, to what it means to be human. You're not bypassing your humanity at all in this book. And I really appreciated that and respected that. So thank you for this gift. Thank you for saying that. I think as I've watched and read your book and watched how you interact with your faith through a mental health and true emotional honesty, it's really been inspiring for me to watch you do that because I have felt encouraged that, oh, I don't have all the words that you use for it, but God has taken me on a similar journey and to some places that you actually do such a great job helping other people get to. And so I wish I had known you 25 years ago. You could have helped me a lot, but... But I know that God will continue to use you like that. And so I'm like, I'm paying attention because so often I think what you're doing is helping people have language for things that we know are happening in us and around us, 
but we can so much better engage in them with ourselves and with God when we actually understand what's going on. And I think you're just wonderful at that. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, the naming. And I saw that in your book. I Mm -hmm. remember when I first started reading it, I texted you because you've been saying to me, Allison, I think there's a synergy between our work and I knew that on a human level. But the minute I started reading your book, I was like, I get it. I see it. I see exactly what you mean. It's like you're coming at it from a different angle, but you're absolutely Mm -hmm. trying to put words on this experience of being a human, you know, who is trying to consistently turn toward God. So I'd love to get started, Allie, today, just right from the get-go in the book. You say this thing that I thought was just so well stated in How to Stay Standing. You start out by saying that you had, quote, cracks in the foundation of your life. And then you say something that I thought was so interesting. You said, you're speaking of your early 20s, I believe, Mm -hmm. that you'd built a framework for a great life but that you didn't have the foundation to support that framework. So I'd love to go back in time for a moment to that time. And obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. There's a lot that you know now that you didn't know then. But what do you mean by that? It sounds like you had the scaffolding. You knew some of the right things, but the foundation wasn't there. And there were even cracks in the foundation yeah. that was there. I think as I look back and I think about the cracks that later became problematic for me, they were primarily internal. They were primarily Mm. things that maybe only I really knew were happening in me. And therefore, for some period of time, when cracks in your character, let's say, Mm. for instance, I knew that often I would avoid conflict. I would avoid conflict to the point where I would compromise honesty or integrity in order Mm. to avoid conflict. So that would be one example of an enormous crack that is going to be a problem. But at the time, I just didn't see where that was going to lead. So that would be one specific example. Another one for me, which is really the base of what I was standing on at that time in my life is I was, what I now have words for, I was very driven by performance. I was Mm -hmm. very driven by what I could accomplish and what goals I could meet And I really thought of myself through the lens of what I did or what I could Mm -hmm. do. And that was a huge crack because we all come to the end of ourselves at some point, or we Mm -hmm. have experiences that tell us at some point in our life that we actually are not enough. We cannot be enough for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty convinced in my early 20s that not only did I have the right tools to build a good life, which in many ways I did, and I was very blessed in some of those things, but I was convinced that I was strong enough to put together a life that worked. And I don't think I would have used those words at the time, but when it came right down to it, what I was most trusting in was me and my ability to be smart enough, to work hard enough, to make the right connections, to just do whatever I needed to do to put together a life that worked. And unfortunately, that does work for some period of time. Yeah. Were you at the time, would you have considered yourself a Christian? Was this something that was sort of operating under the surface or? So I was raised in a church going family Mm -hmm. and I had a very genuine, I would call it when I first came to a personal faith in Christ, Mm -hmm. I was 16 So I was right in the heart of learning what it is to be myself and on the verge of adulthood and all of that. And I had these couple of years where, as I look back on it, what I think happened 
was God gave me this gift of this little, I call it a little oasis from like 16 to 18. I had this wonderful community, a true faith, a very genuine conversion to a follower of Christ. And then I went to college. (laughs) So I had this little bubble and I, I have often thought back on that time and thought, God gave me a, quite a genuine experience of what it felt like and looked like to truly follow him and experience him. Mm-hmm. And in so many ways, when my life in my 20s, as I was, I was doing it, man, I was adulting with the best of them. I, was, I had a great job. I was traveling. I was newly married. I was making money. All this stuff that you would think would work. When it all started to fall apart, I had this little experience with God with a very living and genuine faith, I fell back on because I was desperate. You know, I reached out for him when things started to fall apart for me. Yeah. So I think what I'm hearing you say, as far as the foundation goes, you did have a seed. You had a seed of faith. You had something there. But now I'm curious, like, would you say you set that aside to start building on a different foundation? Or would you just say you did have a rock, Mm -hmm. you did have something there, right? But it wasn't strong enough to be that foundation. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm trying to tease out what was conscious. Was it slow? Like my faith is still there, but I'm not really building that deeper foundation. Yeah. So if I go back to your seed metaphor, what I would say is I never had roots. Okay. Okay. I never knew what would develop roots. I never knew how I had this experience where I grew very quickly Mm-hmm. And I never rooted. So Jesus tells the parable, the sower, and I received the word and I grew. Something sprouted very quickly and it was very real. Yes. And then I went into a space in my life where I didn't have anyone helping me. I didn't know, hey, when you go away from that community, the one that was helping you, you need another community of Christ followers around you. I didn't know. Yeah. The title of my book is called How to Stay Standing. And in some ways, I have this burn in my heart because I think there are things that if we have people alongside of us who can just say, hey, did you know that if you don't have friendships developed in your life that are moving the same direction you are, that's not a neutral thing. It's actually going to pull you away from God. I just didn't have anyone telling me some of those things. Got it. So that's what's so interesting to me about your story. It was just, it's not like this, like, I'm going to do it my way, God. It's not like a prodigal son story. You didn't have the tools to know how to keep that foundation strong underneath you. So you ended up little by little moving in this direction of self-sufficiency, of self-reliance, of doing things in your own strength. And also you mentioned not having those skills of navigating relationships in a healthy way. I think about that to myself. I'm like, we don't learn to adult and we don't learn how to deal with conflict or how to, you know, so you find yourself in your twenties going, oh my gosh. And so then presumably the structure started to collapse because that foundation wasn't strong. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So you're totally right in how you characterize that. I would never have called myself rebellious against God, angry, or I was never like, I never made a decision to walk away from my faith. I would have considered myself a good person. Yeah. And I just did it the way I knew how to do it. That's what I learned and that's what worked for me. And so that's what I did, which is why as things started to fall apart, it shocked me. It really shocked me. So in my early 20s, I was working at a big corporate job, probably bigger than I should have been in in my early 20s. And I was really enjoying traveling a bunch and making money and having a a big career and all of that kind of stuff. And it was fun. And I was good at it. 
but Mm -hmm. also I was very naive in how I was building relationships. And at the time I got into a relationship with another man and I ended up having an affair very early days of my own marriage. When I say the day before I would have told you I would never do something like that, I mean it. Mm -hmm. Like never did I think of myself as somebody who would even be open to doing something which was so clearly out of bounds, so Mm -hmm. clearly in, even in my own morality, so Mm -hmm. clearly wrong. Yeah. And I think that's where all of my illusions ended about who I really was. And I had this moment and I described this moment in the book, but it's such a poignant moment in my life that I, I found myself looking in the mirror, right? And I was trying to look at myself. And I think maybe for the very first time in my life, I actually saw who I was. And I had to be honest. I'm not a person of integrity. Here's who I have become. How did I get here mm-hmm. from a person that was strong and smart and thought of herself as good? Where in the world did this happen? In lots of work with me and God and a couple of other wonderful people we put in my life, I really realized that your foundation is solidified in tiny little decisions you make every day, or you fall into the cracks of those decisions, which are getting wider and wider and wider every day. And that is, again, beneath the book is strengthening your foundation and standing on something firm. It's not a one big decision that you make at any point in time. It is a continual set of daily choices. And the good news is they're always available to us. Like God is always happy to meet us exactly where we're starting from, whether we're collapsed on the ground or whether we're just realizing, oh, I've been doing something on my own. I wonder what it would be like to include God in this part Mm -hmm. of my life. And that's really, even now as a parent, I see that helping lay foundations in other people, in your children is the same way. You could Mm -hmm. let things go. Sure, you could let something go. You could even call it like, eh, he's a good kid. We'll just let it go this time. Or you could take the time that it takes to dig down and actually lay a piece of foundation. And so I find it very much a daily work of living a life that can stand firm because all of a sudden it doesn't unless you've been tending to it. Yeah, I love what you're saying. We talk a lot on the podcast about how any decision we make is usually the result of about a thousand tiny decisions prior to it. And that's what I hear you saying, right? It's not like one day you woke up and said, oh, I'm going to do this today. Nobody does that. Well, very few people do that. Instead, I love that awareness. It's okay. I got here through a thousand tiny steps. And like you're saying, the good news is I can start Mm -hmm. taking now tiny steps in the direction I want to take toward God, toward building this healthy foundation. So in that moment, Allie, I want to ask you, did you experience any shame? Because one of the things we talk a lot on the podcast is how shame can sometimes keep us in hiding. It can keep us from that healthy foundation. So how did you in navigating that self-awareness that, oh my gosh, who have I become? And then to where you are now, which is this teaching pastor, mom, wife, I believe you ended up repairing with your husband, correct? Yes, yes. So we get there. But how was that process for you? You still had a choice to make in that moment, right? When you were like, who have I become? You could have just given up. Shame could have taken over and you could have continued to hide. It wasn't just about a foundation. You had to start to dig your way 
out of something. How did you do that? Absolutely. So there's two processes and I didn't write specifically about this in the book, but I'm so glad that you asked. I really see a process of forgiveness as something very different than a process of removing shame. Mm -hmm. I think those are related, highly related, but different processes. So I knew fairly quickly that God when I asked, you know, I came to God and I said, I need your mercy. Please forgive me. I want to do something different. I was pretty convinced pretty quickly that I had God's forgiveness. And then I went through a process of seeking forgiveness for the people that I had hurt in the process of that. So the first way out toward forgiveness for me was brutal, honest confession. First with God. First with God. I love that, that you yes. immediately turned toward God. Because again, I think yes. shame in many instances steps in and goes, you can't go to God. You've done this terrible thing. And somehow inside of you, that seed, what I love about this yes. is that seed that was there, even if it was a seed, you knew, oh, I've got to turn toward God. I love I that. Need I need him. That. Yeah. He was yeah. the only yeah. thing that I actually felt that I had. And I don't even know why I thought I had him. We weren't, I wasn't actively pursuing God, but something he had planted told me, this is my way out of this. And so I first went to him in brutal confession. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I did is I went to my husband. And I think that the repentance, the turning around, you're going to stop where you are. And you're literally going to change direction. The only way I knew how to do that was to start telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And it was brutal. And as I did that, that began the path toward forgiveness with my husband. But also then where I would describe shame coming in the picture is primarily in my external life because this sin is the cardinal sin, right? Like it's the bad one. And also you don't hear very many women talk about this. So it's like this extra measure of how could you? And very, very, very shaming things. And so I took on this layer of shame to the extent that, Allison, I would not look anyone in the face. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize I was doing it at first, but I'm big on eye contact. Like I like to connect really with people in the form of eye contact. I like face-to-face communication. And I think that the Holy Spirit pointed out to me at some point that it had been six months since I had made eye contact with anybody in my life. Wow. I was so deeply ashamed. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point that I realized, oh, this process of removing shame is something a little bit different than believing you're forgiven. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I actually believed I was forgiven by God. And I was at least in the process of pursuing forgiveness with my husband. But I described shame as the enemy's last ditch effort. You know that you're forgiven and you're trying to pursue healing and you're trying to pursue wholeness. Mm -hmm. His last ditch effort to keep you oppressed and heavy, heavy, heavy layer of shame. Yeah, I agree with you. Because then it keeps you from owning your story. It keeps you from talking about it. I still have to fight that instinct 20 years later. Mm -hmm. Shame is this deep instinct to hide. Yep. And every time I talk about my story, I have to just, now it's like a little jump over a stone. It used to be, I would have to crawl up a brick wall and throw myself over. To talk about it. Yes. Because I was so deeply ashamed. 
And I finally began to realize like, okay, this will not lead to the life that God has for me. And the way that, because I was turning toward God, and I I have a smile on my face because I think he almost began to entice me with, hey, there's something a lot better than what you're living. Like if you would come closer, I could show you what that was. So as I started to pursue God, shame just began to be totally inconsistent with the life that he has for me. And finally, I had to realize, oh my gosh, when I do tell my story, when I do interact with people, their shame goes away. Like there's a freeing effect on others. And that began to be just too good. It was too good to pass up. Yeah. The counselor that I saw said that three times, if you tell your shame story three times, there's a significant loss of impact upon you. That if you can bring yourself to three times telling a new person your story that you're so ashamed of, mm-hmm. a safe person, you know, she was, yes. she was of course, 100%. giving me guardrails for, sure. you don't just talk to people about your stuff, and just, not just any old person. But if you can get to three, the grip significantly loosens. And I never forgot that. And so that was very helpful for me as I began to realize, okay, getting free of shame is something totally different. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for pausing there because I know listeners, we talk a lot about shame and we talk about a lot about the things you're saying, turning toward God. And I always quote Kurt Thompson the, in his book, The Soul of Shame, calls it evil's vector, which is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's the way the enemy wants to keep us. And what I love about what you're saying is you knew you had God's forgiveness. You even had your husband's forgiveness mm-hmm. and shame still would not let go. And exactly what you're saying, we know to be true that shame thrives in isolation. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise, filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other junk growing kids don't need. That's why Haya was created. This pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin. Haya fills in the common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need with a yummy taste they love. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, including vitamin D, B12, C, zinc, folate, and many others to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and more. It's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and everything else you can imagine. Haya is designed for kids of all age and sent straight to your door so parents have one less thing to worry about. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You'll receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash best of you. It's not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-L-T-H dot com slash best of you and get your kids the full body nourishment they need. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And if you want to take your conversations with your audience to the next level, you can use Q&A, you can use polls, you can use all the things to get them talking. 
With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in so many ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters, and it is so easy to use to get your work out into the world. So if you want to make a podcast, I recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. I am always looking for ways to save time and money while also maximizing health benefits. And that's why I am thrilled to have discovered Thrive Market. Thrive Market is my go-to for all my grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online and quickly shipped to my doorstep is just unbeatable. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and I can easily use their on-site filters to get really specific about what matters to me. For example, I can filter out low sugar, non-dairy, gluten-free, any of those very specific dietary needs that anyone in your family might have. And as a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. On average, I save about 30% each each time. And best of all, when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join and they give a membership away. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash best of you for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash best of you. Thrivemarket.com slash best of you. So tell me, Allie, you have your husband's forgiveness, you have God's forgiveness, you're working through your own shame, but then we get to back to this foundation. So how do you then, because also I can hear people listening or if someone's been through this or I see this in my own practice, you know, so great. I've got all this forgiveness and great. Now I'll just go back to doing the same thing I was doing. We forget so easily. Yeah. So how did you build this healthy foundation? How did you yes. change your day-to-day-to-day decision-by-decision way of being in the world? That's what's harder in a way. That <laughs> question is exactly what I write about in the book. Because what I discovered during this period of time where everything felt like it was crumbling down around me mm-hmm. and I reached for God, I genuinely did. And I began to uncover what I now see as three very simple daily things that I started doing during that time. And I just didn't know, oh my gosh, this is going to be helpful. This is actually going to rebuild something. And so that that is what the book is based upon. And the first one is, we've already discussed, it's coming to Jesus. Like mm. if you look at coming to him in scripture, if you look at the people that he would say came to him or his invitation when he says, mm-hmm. come to me, Mm -hmm. which he says a number of times, this act of coming to him is like wholehearted. It's mind, body, soul coming. It's Mm -hmm. laying everything down at his feet. It's the moments where you look in the mirror and you tell yourself the truth. It's the moments where you confess something you didn't think you would ever say out loud because you know that he wants you to. It's the moments where you come to him in joy and you want to share your joy and thank him and gratitude. It's, mm-hmm. it's these genuine moments between you and God. And you can't fake that. You're either coming to be with him relationally or you're not. And you and God are the only two that know the difference. Amen. And so the practice of coming to Jesus starts this whole thing. 
But the middle one is where I will never stop saying this for the rest of my life. What I accidentally did during this period of time in my life, which started to rebuild a foundation, was I got deeply into his word. Mm-hmm. I had for weeks on end, I took some time off work and for weeks on end, I had a husband who didn't want to be with me. I didn't have any children. I had lost a bunch of friends. It really was me mm-hmm. and God. And I started reading his word again. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't, I wasn't a Bible scholar. I was just a person with a Bible. That was it. And I would talk to him and I would read his word and I would try to understand it. And that really is the second one, which is to hear his word. Mm -hmm. And the reason I get so excited about this one is because you really start to hear his voice. God begins to be real to you in moments when your Bible is not sitting on your lap because the word of God is alive and active and present because Jesus is the living word of God. I mean, that's what we even call him, right? So as we fill ourselves with the written word, the living word comes to life around us and in us and through us all the time. So Allison, I would get these ideas of things when I wasn't reading my Bible and I would just be like, you know what? I think I need to go do that thing. And I would just do it. I was at the point where I had nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. If I thought it was even maybe God, I would do it because I, I was just, I had nothing to lose. And now I look back on those moments where I truly didn't have anything to lose and I was willing to experiment. I was willing to say, I think this might be you, God. I'm just going to go with it. What's an example? Can you give me an example? Oh, sure. Like there was some stuff in my house that I had gotten during the time of the affair and it was still there. And I was like, why do I still have these things? They need to go. And I just had this constant feeling like, I got to get rid of this stuff. It was just a few random things. It was like a pair of earrings and a book and just some other, it was just that reminded you of that period. Yes, that represented that period of time, Yeah, whatever. And I just, again, I felt this little nudge. Mm -hmm. Get rid of that stuff. Just get rid of it. It sounds almost like you went through this process because what I, without going into all the details, what I hear is that there was a season, there was a period of time where your husband was upset. You know, you were on your own. You kind of went through this own self with God deep dive where you're saturating yourself in God's word. And I would use, this is the language I would use, but, and through that, through completely immersing yourself in God's word and the ocean of the word of truth of Jesus, you came into contact with the best of who you are, right? The person Mm -hmm. that God really wanted you to become. And so that Mm -hmm. wisdom, what I'm hearing is the beginning of like, why would I have this stuff? You know, it's not like, necessarily we say we hear from God, but what I'm hearing is there was this like this impulse, this thing inside of you, which I would say comes from that spirit led place inside of you. Mm -hmm. That's now feasting on goodness. That's feasting on God. That's going, why would I want this stuff in my house? You know, this very practical kind of very practical concrete way that you were sort of detoxing, that you were cleansing. I had this other moment where I got in my car after work one day and I, there was a Christian radio station on, and I swear, Allison, I have no idea. It was almost like I nudged the dial before I got out of the car in the morning or something. I had never listened to this radio station before. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit. I felt God's presence. And he was like, you need to fill yourself with something different. And from then on, I couldn't help but hear, what else would I be filling myself with? It was like, oh, songs about bad relationships and terrible tragedies, you know, and awful breakups and 
terrible sexual scenarios and, you know, just what you name it, whatever all the songs are about. And just in that one little moment, I felt like he grabbed my attention and went, why don't you just try filling yourself with something else? Why don't you just try filling yourself with something that's my truth for you? And that was very much how I would practice hearing his word during that time. Yeah, Yeah, it's a practice of hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then slowly it began to seep out of me. You know, I always tell my kids now, like, whatever you put in is eventually going to come out. It just is. There's kind of no way around that kitchen logic. What you put in there is what will eventually come out. But the last thing, which really served me well in a space where I didn't have anything to lose, and I think this is where the final practice I talk about in my book, I think is where a lot of people bail. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people will genuinely come to God. A lot of those people are willing to hear his word and believe it's the truth. And the last practice is where a lot of people bail because we do have things to lose. We do have lives. And the last thing is we actually have to do it. We actually have to follow through on what Mm -hmm. the word says to do. And it requires a lot of courage. It requires Mm -hmm. sometimes loss. It requires Mm -hmm. sometimes things that we're afraid of. And confessing the affair is a great example of that because Mm -hmm. I knew I needed to confess because nothing could ever be real without it. I couldn't live in that dissonance, but try confessing that. You know what you're putting on the line. Oh, that's that had to be so scary. Yeah. You know that you're putting everything that you said you cared about on the line. Mm -hmm. So luckily, God loves it when we practice in smaller ways too. We don't always have to be, you know, confessing affairs. But in order for your foundation to actually get firm, Mm -hmm. you must not just hear the word, you actually have to do the word. Mm -hmm. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think, where a lot of people bail. There's nothing magical about what I'm saying in this book. What I'm doing is I'm repeating the words of Christ because he calls us to hear his word and follow through on it. Mm-hmm. Not just be hearers of the word, but yeah. doers of the word, I think is what James writes. And that is where actually I look back on my story and I think, man, it was a gift to be in a space where I had very little to lose. Yeah. Because I was willing to be courageous because I was desperate. And to be honest, it seems like a gift now. There are listeners who will listen and go, I am desperate. And to you, I would say, this is actually a beautiful place to be because you have the advantage. You can go all in on something that other people will hesitate about. I love that. I agree with you. That's the gift of mm-hmm. the hitting rock bottom the in broken. a way. Yeah, <laughs> as painful as it is, and I don't wish it on people, but it is this weird gift of a radical invitation mm-hmm. to completely change your life in the way that we should all be changing our life every day, which brings me to this question of, so how do you continue to do this work Mm -hmm. when the stakes aren't that high? So now you're a teaching pastor, you're a mom, you're in a church, you're, Mm -hmm. how do you keep yourself from going back to that? I'm a good person. I mean, again, it's more subtle. You would never theologically, you know, go there, Mm -hmm. but just that, that I think I'm going to see it in myself, that bent toward entropy that, you know, how do you keep Mm -hmm. yourself now that you've built, you know, now it's been, I don't know, 20 However many years, 22 years or something. It's been a really long time, right? You've been living on a solid foundation. Mm -hmm. And, and I still think there's an invitation there. So there's the person Mm -hmm. that's at rock bottom and that's hard. No doubt. And there's that person that's like, I'm doing okay. How do I keep solid? Even just sometimes I think 
kind of passivity or the path of least resistance, you know, which still mm-hmm. isn't doing this work. So what do you do in your yes. life? Okay, here's what I do. I'm so glad we're talking about this because the same thing that will rebuild you from the deepest, darkest hole is exactly and the same thing that's available to you today if you're doing great. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is you need to take risks on God. If you cannot name the last risk that you took on God, Mm. on his word, on what he says, on who he is, on what he does, then that is ultimately a succinct way to say, this is your everyday invitation. And you could be doing great right now, and there will still be a risk on God in front of you. And if you take those risks day after day, and we can talk about what some of those are, if you take those risks day after day, you will end up on a solid foundation. Interesting answer. Give me some examples. I, I'm, I'm curious about this. You got my curiosity piqued. Here's one you could take this week. Actually take a day of rest. I know very few people that do that. And it's a weekly invitation that we have to trust that God will keep things moving, that he has your back, that you don't have to be a slave to your work, that no one's going to hate you if you don't answer them on social media for a day. No one's going to deny their friendship with you if you turn your phone off for a few hours. But we don't actually live like we believe God. Instead, we go like, "Eh, I don't know. I'll try to take a nap on Sunday. This is the weekly invitation that we have for a day of rest is a great risk to take on God. I'll give you another one. Money. What are you doing with your money? Are you actually giving generously? God gives us a 10%, a tithe standard. I believe firmly in the tithe because I don't even think that's mine. I think a tithe is God's. He asks us to return to him what is his. And are you actually doing with your money what he has asked you to do? Are you taking that risk on God? Those are two, I think, that we are so used to thinking about as rules Mm -hmm. that we don't look at them in the context of our relationship. It's actually a risk. I like how you're reframing that, right? It's not the legalism of it. It's not the rules of it. You're actually saying how we continue to build that foundation is to take a risk on the promises of God. It might also be have that hard conversation with somebody. It might be saying no to somebody. It might be believing God that the lies shame are telling us and going and telling somebody about that struggle that we're having But I love how you're reframing that as not because it's the legalistic, it's because we're betting on God in a way. And we're keeping ourselves, there's a way in which you phrase that when you say, take a risk on God, it's energizing our faith versus sliding into that slippery slope of whatever. And here's another great one I try to do a lot. If I think of a positive word for someone, like if I have an encouragement Mm -hmm. for you, I just believe that you need to hear that. And I tell you immediately if possible. And if I lay my calendar in front of God and I pray over it and there's something that feels weird about something on my calendar for the week, I get rid of it immediately. And I say to God, I believe this is you. If I get it wrong, who cares? That's why I smile when I talk about this because This is when you find out what you need to know about God. Because I think, Allison, I think just like people, we deserve to trust God in a way that we know He's there. Mm -hmm. I don't think He wants to be some Santa in the sky where we have to close our eyes and go, I just hope you're really there. I actually think He wants to give you a set of personal experiences with Him where your questions about Him are answered, where you get to interact with him in a way that convinces you of who he is. He is so good and Mm -hmm. so gracious to us 
that he will personally convince you of himself. And he does not need to do that. (laughs) It's so interesting because we say these words, it's a relationship, right? It's a relationship. But Mm -hmm. if you think about any relationship that stays vital, that stays alive, you know, Mm -hmm. friendship, a marriage, you you have to work at it, right? You have to come to each other and say, we need to do a date night. We need to take risks. We need to to keep the vitality in it. And why would it be any different with God? I, I love that. I mean, I, I know sometimes I'll go through a period where I, maybe I feel a little less connected to the vitality of that relationship. And inevitably, one of the things I'll do, I'll make a list of questions that I can't figure out the mm-hmm. answer. It's like, what am I supposed to do with this part of my life? Or how am I supposed to? And I'll make a list of questions. And I'm like, I'm going to just keep, it's like the persistent widow. I'm going to keep going to God with these questions. Rarely for me, do I hear a like lightning bolt in the sky. But inevitably, mm-hmm. if I keep at it, if I chip away and I read and point myself toward trying, you know, inevitably God shows up in some way, usually in a surprising way. Um, But I like that idea of taking it, you know, it's never how I expect, but, or sometimes it is, but it's, it always makes me laugh. You know, there's always like that inside joke with God. It's like, oh, right, there you are, God. But that's the fruit of the long game with God, right? As we you take those risks strategically. And I love what you're saying. It's not that we're testing God. It's not that we're expecting God to be a genie in a bottle. It's, I might be wrong. I might take this risk and maybe God's like, actually, that was stupid. You should, but then that's going to course correct too. It doesn't matter. Yes, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. Here's the beautiful thing. When you say to God, and I've done this, this is how I talk to him sometimes. And I will say to him, hey, I think this is you. And I got to move on this like in the next three hours. So I'm going to do this thing. And if it's not you, I'd really appreciate your you intervening before then. But I'm going like at 3 p.m. I got to go. And so I will deal with him the way that I would with anyone else, trusting that number one, he can intervene anytime, any way he wants. And number two, if I get it wrong, guess what? I'm going to get the same set of information about God that I would have gotten Mm -hmm. if I got it right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to meet God in the middle of whatever goes down here. And that's what I want. That's what gets you to the foundation. That's right. That's the relationship. Yeah. And you're also, my guess is you're going to, for the most part, stay within your wisdom. We're not talking about Vegas roulette kind of risk here. We're talking about a risk where you go, I know your character. Yeah. I understand your word. And to the best of my ability, I am going to follow. And here's what it looks like. And I'm just going to move. And I think many of us drop off at that point because what we've been taught to do as good Christians, in many cases, is wait for confirmation. We're going to pray and we're going to wait, 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 wait. I am pro-waiting if that's the season that I'm in. There are seasons of waiting. There are times when waiting is appropriate. But I would say most of the time where you interact with God is as you go. And we are so afraid to get it wrong. We are just so afraid to get it wrong. And I'm telling you, when I've screwed it up, I've learned to laugh and I've learned to appreciate the wisdom that I get in those times I take risks. And I'm like, I guess that was just me. I write about a couple of them in the book. So you're touching on, it's so interesting, Ali, again, this sort of where you and I are two sides of the same coin, because this is where in the best of you in chapter 10, I write about this idea of spiritual codependency where we want to hide. We want God to give us big, bold letters in the sky. And really what I'm trying Mm -hmm. to say is it's a partnership. And that's kind of what you're saying. It's like, I have some wisdom. It's a little bit scary. You know, it's, it's living courageously from the best of who God's made us to become bringing God with us though. I have a quote that says, God directs a person in motion. And that's what you're saying. That's the taking a risk part. 
taking a risk on God. And what I love about what you're saying is it might be taking a risk to be honest with God about how scared we are or about how crummy we feel about this thing we have to do, that kind of thing. There's so many ways it works out, but I love what you're saying. There is a lot of movement. There's some pragmatism to it. There's some actions, some concrete steps. And again, what I sense in you, and I can see it in your face and I can feel it coming, oozing out of you is this freedom. And that's, it's like, there's freedom. It's like, I can't lose. How can I lose? Because regardless, I'm going to learn about God. I'm going to learn about myself. And that's the fruit of that solid foundation that you're talking about. The picture of maturity to me in a Christ follower is the ability to use freedom because ultimately Mm -hmm. God calls us to be free. Mm-hmm. And he tells us to keep in step with his spirit. And he That's wants right. us to use his wisdom. And mm-hmm. what he wants is to live and work and move and be in relationship with you as you live in the fullness of who he is. And so for me, the perfect picture of maturity in Christ is actually the ability to use the freedom that you mm-hmm. have in Christ. And because part of that, it goes back to the second practice is we submit to his word because freedom Mm -hmm. does not look like you do whatever you want, whenever you want. Mm -hmm. Freedom is somebody who understands there's, there is a God who loves me and who has a way that he has designed life to work. Mm -hmm. And if I willfully step outside of that, I can Mm -hmm. use my freedom like that, or I can use my freedom to actually bind myself to him. Mm. And then in that, I get to do some incredible things that I never thought possible because then I get his life and I get his power and I get his love for other people. And I, I get to do and be things I never thought I could do or be. Believe me, Allison, when I was 23 years old, crumbled up in a heap, I never imagined I would be courageous I never imagined I would describe myself as a true Christ follower again. I thought I had given up mm-hmm. that right to even call myself a Christian. I thought I was totally unworthy and definitely marked for life. And I will say to your listeners who are is anywhere around that space, I know that there have been people that have come to you and they've actually told you those things. Mm -hmm. And it makes it that much harder to believe that you could ever be something else. And I'm telling you, you can absolutely be something else. And not only that, you have a God who's anxiously awaiting your restoration. And so I just, I love being able to, in a very simple, practical, life-giving way, say to other people, hey, they're there is a living God and there's actually a way that you can interact with him that will make your life strong and make it work. Mm-hmm. Even if that means periods of pain and periods of weakness and periods of failure and all of that kind of stuff too, you are with him in it. And therefore your life has a strength and a gravity that you can never access without him. That is my deepest heart for this book is to make the way plain, because I don't think it's hard. I think when we come to Jesus, when we fill ourselves with his word and we actually do what it says, suddenly you become someone new and you look back over your shoulder and go, what in the world? I'm different than I used to be. I don't know anyone with a faith that I love and respect, even if they use different words, doesn't actually do these three things. Yeah, I love that, Allie. It's such a great message. You do such a great job of weaving this realness right into it, this realness of your own life. It's called How to Stay Standing. 
tell our listeners how to get a hold of the book, how to get a hold of your resources, some of the things that mm-hmm. they can find when they look you up. Yeah. So you can find How to Stay Standing anywhere that books are available. There will also be an audiobook. So if you don't like to read visually, you'll be able to get an audiobook as well. And if you go to my website, it's theallypatterson.com or you follow me on social media, I often post other Bible studies I've created, free resources like prayer guides, audio guides. I love creating resources to help you connect with God through scripture. I love doing short studies that are really easy to digest and easy ways to connect with God through scripture and prayer. There's lots of things that are super accessible if you check out my website or follow me on social. Your energy and your vitality is just super infectious. And there's a living sort of witness to what you're describing with words. So I appreciate that I appreciate you coming here. And I want to just close, Allie, with these questions that I ask all my guests. What or who is bringing out the best of you right now? And what needs or desires are you working to protect? What brings out the best of me is when I carve out time to be alone. I desperately need silence. Sometimes if I sit in the quiet, I feel silence is healing. It like ministers to me in a way that nothing else does. And that brings out the best of me. And I do have to fight for that. As you might imagine, I'm a mom of four kids and I have a job and I have a book and all kinds of other things going on with that. So I have to fight for that and I have to protect my need for that because I, and I've learned to stop apologizing for that. I will not apologize for needing that. And who brings out the best of me? For sure right now, it is my husband and my four kids because I cannot look at them and not be grateful to God for what he's done in my life. As you might imagine, my marriage has had bumps because of our early days. It is not an easy road. We have not traveled an easy road. You don't go through a story like that and get out unscathed. But when I think, wow, I love him and we have fun together 23 years later, like this is incredible. And the kids are just the fruit of that as well. And so I I think when I am around them, I'm usually bathed in gratitude for it because I'm very clear that I didn't actually deserve it, Mm. that it all came to me like by the grace of God. And he, he is responsible for that. So that's how I feel when I'm around them. So they're my favorite humans and they definitely bring out the best of me. I love that. Again, the gift of rock bottom is gratitude when we turn toward God and allow him to reshape and reclaim our lives. So what a beautiful, beautiful way to end. Thank you so much, Allie, for just sharing your story, sharing your wisdom, creating these resources. I so appreciate you and all that you're putting into the world and look forward to just all the ways you're going to minister to and bless so many people. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I treasure our friendship, so really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Best of You. Be sure to check out the show notes for any resources and links mentioned in the show. You can find those on my website at drallisoncook.com. That's Allison with one L, cook.com. Before you forget, I hope you'll follow the show now so that you don't miss an episode. And I'd love it if you'd go ahead and leave a review. It helps so much to get the word out. I look forward to seeing you back here next Thursday. And remember, as you become the best of who you are, you honor God, you heal others, and you stay true to your God-given self.